And our preaching text is Hebrews 4, uh, verses 14 through 5, verse 10. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by one who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Having been appointed a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I don't know if you've ever come across that verse uh, in Hebrews, uh, the letter to the Hebrews before, um, but maybe you have and you say, hmm, the order of Melchizedek, I wonder what this is all about. Or maybe more likely you said, that sounds like one of those Old Testament names. I'm sure it means something to somebody at some point. Well, today we are going to go on a tour of all of the Melchizedek across all of uh, the, the Bible. So in the New Testament, Hebrews is the only one who mentions this name, Melchizedek, and it comes sort of out of nowhere. Uh, he's a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. What even does this mean? Uh, and let me go back and show you uh, where in uh, Scripture, in the Old Testament, uh, the Melchizedek shows up. It's back in Genesis 14. This is uh, back in the story of Abraham. Abraham uh, has just gone off and rescued his son Lot. If you remember this story, his son Lot is captured and taken away by an enemy of the city where Lot is living. And uh, Abraham uh, puts together this, this group and goes after him. And they win this sort of decisive battle against these various kings of these various cities uh, and are able to get Lot back. And when he gets back, this is what happens. 
So after his return from the defeat of Chador Lomer and the kings who were with him, uh, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, and King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him one-tenth of everything. That is, he tithed to him uh, uh, from everything that he had gotten from the battle. And that's it. That's the entirety of Melchizedek's story. He's there for one verse. He comes out of nowhere. He's a priest of God Most High. Uh, He is the king of this place called Salem, which in Hebrew actually means peace. The writer of the letter of Hebrews will make a big deal of that later. Uh, And he comes and he blesses Abram. And then he goes on his way. Then, one more time in the Old Testament is Melchizedek mentioned. And we actually heard this quoted. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews uh, quoted it in his letter in our reading today. And this is in Psalm 110. And this is what we read in Psalm 110. So this is the one that starts out with, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So this was a psalm that's understood to be referring to Jesus uh, as a messianic psalm by the early Christians. Um, But this is what it says later on. Uh, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Nowhere else in Scripture does this come up until the letter to the Hebrews? Now, this seems a little strange. I don't know because uh, if this seems strange to you, but to me, this seems strange that this name that only happens two times in the entire Hebrew Bible, once in the story of Abram, uh, sort of abruptly interrupting the action uh, to come out and give this blessing, and once in this one psalm, sort of as this offhand mention, becomes something that in the book of Hebrews, if you read it through, uh, sort of dominates his talking about Jesus from this reading all the way through chapter 6 and 7. He's talking about Melchizedek, Jesus being a priest of the order of Melchizedek. And it makes you wonder, what does any of this have to do with anything at all? Well, what do priests do in the Old Testament? They pray. How do priests pray? There's something very specific, a way that they talk to God in the Old Testament, in the temple worship. What do they do? They offer sacrifices. And where do they get the right to offer sacrifices, these priests? Can anybody become a priest? No. You have to be from a certain family, correct? You have to be a descendant of a certain person, the brother of Moses, whose name was Aaron. So these priests are known as priests of the order of Aaron. Sometimes they're called the Aaronic priest, not the Ironic priest, but the Aaronic priest. This is the Aaron's priesthood, the descendants that come from him. Now, later on, this priesthood actually gets cut off and another uh, order takes over it. Um, The priests uh, from Zadok, a man named Zadok, this after the exile actually becomes more the, the main priesthood in Israel. But this idea of priests having an order is an important thing because it tells you something about your history, about your lineage, about why you are off authorized to be in the temple offering sacrifices. 
Not just anyone can do this. If you read through uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, as uh, the Israelites are learning about this uh, temple, or at that point, tabernacle worship, this uh, system of sacrifices, there's multiple stories of people doing it wrong, either doing things they are not authorized to do, or people who are not authorized going and trying to do this. And every time it ends spectacularly badly, uh, sometimes with the earth opening up and swallowing people, or fire coming out of the tabernacle and consuming them, it's, it's nothing to be taken lightly. And so isn't it strange that this priest of God most high, creator of heaven and earth, this king of Salem, king of peace, as uh, Hebrews will call it later on, uh, named Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness, by the way, isn't it strange that he is a priest centuries before the law of Moses has been given? This is the time of Abraham. In fact, he's not even Abraham yet. He's Abram. He hasn't given birth to Isaac yet. He's not the father of many nations. He's just a a, a father uh, or soon-to-be father, sort of in a figurative sense as he goes after Lot. And yet this man comes out and offers sacrifice, and Abram offers him a tithe. Now, later on, the book of Hebrews will actually even make a big deal of this, saying uh, that, uh, in a sense, the priests that come later through Moses gave a tithe when Abram gave a tithe to Melchizedek because, of course, Abram was their ancestor. They were still, in some sort of way, uh, with Abram in their ancestor's action here. That they, the, the, the priests, tithed to Melchizedek, which is this uh, strange way of talking. So what does it mean, then, that Jesus is a priest? according to the order of Melchizedek. One of the things that happens in Hebrews, uh, and if you read through this uh, scripture, and we won't be getting into uh, the the details of this as we sort of pass through it, is he makes this, this grand metaphor of temple worship in the heavens. So he talks about uh, the tabernacle sacrifice system. He talks about the Holy of Holies, the outer courtyard, all of these various uh, areas that only a priest could go and then only the high priest could go and only once a year to make atonement for sins. And he says, this is what Jesus is doing in the heavens, that Jesus is making atonement for us as a high priest. And yet, and, and instead of offering the blood of an animal sacrifice, he offers his own blood for us as a high priest in the heavens. And sometimes we can read this sort of metaphor that's happening and say, okay, so what salvation really is about then is that Jesus is coming, and he's coming into a a system of sacrifice and laws that was handed down through Moses that has been with the Israelites uh, throughout their history, and Jesus is entering into this system and bringing us as well as Gentiles into this system so that we have our sins forgiven according to this law, according to this law of Moses. And so then, if that's what salvation is, then the proper response to salvation seems to be, to obey the law. Jesus has set us free so that we can obey the law. He has set us free for this legal relationship with God. Jesus on the cross then becomes sort of a purchaser who is purchasing salvation for us from God the Father. God the Father was angry with us, so Jesus went up on the cross and he made God happy with his bloody sacrifice. Now, that seems a little strange, doesn't it? I mean, it seems kind of close, but maybe there's something missing here. Because if Jesus goes up and makes God happy with his bloody sacrifice, then we have to wonder, why did God the Father send Jesus in the first place? 
Why could Jesus forgive sins before he went to the cross? Why did God need to be made gracious in the first place? But Hebrews is playing with this metaphor by saying that Jesus is not a priest of the order of Aaron or of the Levites or even of the Zedekites much later, but a priest of the order of Melchizedek. And that means he is a priest who is authorized not by any law which has been given, because it has not been given yet. He is a priest who is authorized not by uh, the fact that he is just uh, the most uh, lawful abiding person around, because, of course, Jesus gets accused all the times by the Pharisees of not following the law as they think it should be followed. But Jesus is a priest who is authorized by God himself, apart from the law. That means that our salvation doesn't come from Jesus' righteousness understood as his ability to live a perfect life, but rather from his righteousness, which is the power of his life, which is within him. A power which comes before the law and which comes after the law has been completed or fulfilled, as Jesus says. So that when he enters into the heavens as this priest with no history, and with nothing after him, the priest who is, uh, always was, and always will be in the heavens, his sacrifice, his prayer, his intercession for us lasts forever. And it comes independently of any law which, could, which we must follow. Even when uh, the letter to the Hebrews uses this language like obey. So, for example, at the end of our reading, we hear this. Uh, having been made perfect, uh, really, I, I think a better translation there is having been brought to completion through his suffering, that is, dying, uh, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, this isn't obeying the law. This is obeying Jesus. This is obeying a shepherd this is hearing the voice of your shepherd and following when that shepherd calls. This is listening to the voice of the one whose word to you is, I forgive you all your sin. This isn't obedience in some sort of legalistic understanding of obedience, but the obedience of paying attention to Jesus and hearing and trusting and believing what he has to say to you. See, too often we can look at Jesus as this perfect priest, this one who has uh, been uh, made perfect through sufferings, as our reading will say, uh, this one who was tested and is yet without sin, and think that he is only meant to be an example for us, that he has given us something like a starting point on which we can stand, and then it is up to us to make sure we take the right steps the rest of the way, and if we fall off the path, well, that's the end of us. But Jesus is not just the starting point. In fact, later we will hear, in a, I think next week or the week after, that Jesus is not just the pioneer, the source of our salvation. He is also the perfecter, the finisher of our salvation. That Jesus Christ is priest for us from the very beginning all the way through to the end. That he never leaves us. Jesus is not just getting us back on a right foot so that we can then do our very best and see if that is enough to measure up to God. Jesus is with us from first to last. Jesus is not just an example for us to be follow the me uh, for us to follow the message here isn't just go and be tempted without sinning. That is a good thing to do. I hope you are able to be tempted without sinning. But the message is not just the good news is not that you uh, now have a good example to follow in not sinning. 
The good news is that Jesus has done it on your behalf. Jesus has been the priest for you so that he can be the source and the completion of your faith, of your salvation. Now, this seems like an odd way of saying it, and I would agree with you. Uh, The book of Hebrews uh, is written to uh, a group of people who are steeped in a culture that is so different from ours, it can be hard to understand. Um, And honestly, even the fact that he uses Melchizedek here, which uh, probably several of them would be like, oh yeah, that guy we heard about that one time in that one story, wouldn't be all that clear what they were speaking of. But this is what he's saying. That Jesus is your priest, not in the sense of the old priests that are just there to step in once you've messed up, but the priest who is always with you eternally. Because his authorization comes not from uh, your uh, uh, belonging to a particular group of people, not from your adherence to a particular set of laws, but his authority comes from himself, and he, in that authority, has chosen you in your baptism. This priest makes choices for you. And his choice is God's choice for you. And so when Jesus goes to that cross, he goes to that cross not just to uh, give you a nice starting point, but to make you into a new person. So that in your baptism, you are baptized, as Paul writes, into his death, so that you may live a truly new life. A life that is based every step of the way on the work of Jesus Christ, of his atonement for you, of his intercession, his prayer for you, and his promise to you to never let you go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.